Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, today, it's Advent. Did you know? Did you notice the trees? Isn't that amazing? I didn't know you could cut down a tree that big. I want to thank all of you that are involved. You know who you are. I'd mention you by name, but there's a lot. Uh, Thank you to those that decorated outside. Do you see outside? You guys, who drove by? Who saw it? Amazing. It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Inside, it's looking beautiful. This wall is amazing. I'm just excited. It gets me wanting to preach about Jesus when I see everything around me that's beautiful. And so I want to thank all of you that are involved in that. But this is Advent, the time where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, but we also think about the future coming of Jesus. And what does it mean for us to know Jesus as with us today? And I want to start with a passage in Luke chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible or you can follow along with us in Luke chapter 2, this is going to be our theme verse as we kind of walk through this series. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and it's what the angels said to the shepherds on that first Christmas Eve night when they announced the good news of Christ's birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. The question I want to ask this morning, which is, You would think a simple question, and yet it's challenging, is what is the good news that the shepherds heard and the angels announced? Now, in our minds right now, you might be thinking, what is the gospel to me? And as I I share this morning, what I'm going to be doing is interacting with a popular version of the gospel, which I want you to understand, I believe is true, but it's incomplete, And if it's all you understand about the gospel, I think it will lead you astray in terms of what it means to live the Christian life. So you ready for this? So what I'm going to do is throw up the popular gospel, and then I want to show you what I think the angels were saying, and I want you to notice the difference. In the popular gospel, and this is the gospel that I first heard, and I thought was the gospel until I started reading the New Testament. And the gospel, the popular gospel is Jesus died for your sins so that you might go to heaven. Now understand, that's a true statement. It's an aspect of the gospel. Jesus absolutely died for your sins. We're justified through faith in what Christ has done. And one day we will be with God in heaven. But there is not a passage in the New Testament that says Jesus died so you can go to heaven. Now does that surprise you? That's the most popular version of the gospel. But what I think the angels are saying, and what I'm going to show you today, is what the angels are announcing is the lordship of Jesus Christ. That when the angels say, good news of great joy, what they're saying is Jesus, the human, is the Christ, the Messiah. He is, not was or will be, he is the Lord over all creation. Another way of saying that is the crucified, risen Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah of Israel and Lord over all the world. Now, one of the reasons why defining the gospel is so different is that there's different aspects of the gospel, and when the apostles share the gospel, they don't share the whole story. 
like Jonah just preached in Acts 17. If you go back and look at Acts 17, what was the gospel in Acts 17? It's only one little sentence. Jesus Christ was raised. That was it. And when you go through the book of Acts, when the apostles share the gospel, they share little bits and aspects. You don't see the whole story laid out. And that's what it makes it difficult to really define the gospel in one sentence. But what you do find as we go through the New Testament, we'll see this, is there's different themes that are repeated over and over and over again. And we want to capture those themes and understand what is the gospel that the angels proclaim. So here's the pattern we're going to follow. We're going to ask the question first, what does the gospel mean, the word? We're going to define it. Then we're going to say, how did the New Testament proclaim the gospel? Important to go back to the scriptures. Then third, so what? What difference does it make whether I have the popular gospel or I have the gospel in the New Testament? What what does it matter? And then finally, how should I respond? So you guys ready? Let's do this. Okay, the first thing we're going to do is going to define simply the word gospel. So when the angel says, I bring you good news, in the Greek, that is the word euangelion. It's the Greek word that we translate gospel. And it's actually two words put together. The prefix you, which means good. And we know that in the word eureka. Good. It's a surprising good revelation. You means good. And angelion means message. Now, when you look at the word euangelion, it kind of looks like evangelism or evangelical because that's where those words come from. An evangelical is not somebody who votes a certain way. An evangelical is somebody who's about the good news of the gospel, and they're excited about that news. Now, you have to understand this word gospel, which is in the New Testament hundreds of times, it's not necessarily a word that the New Testament authors created. Now, you're going to find it, I think, two places in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 and 44, but the main idea for the word gospel comes out of the Roman context. And see, in the Roman context, the good news was good news about something very specific. It wasn't, you and Gelion, I got a new donkey. Or, you and Gelion, I got married. Or even, you and Gelion, I, I had a child. Rather, the idea of the gospel in the Roman world was always associated with a king. Not just with ordinary news, but instead, when Caesar Augustus became the emperor over Rome... What they would do is send out the angelions, the messengers, to proclaim the gospel. Caesar Augustus is Lord. And even on Caesar Augustus' birthday, they would announce the gospel. Hey, good news. It's Caesar Augustus' birthday. Let's proclaim the gospel. So the word gospel, if you're grabbing this, in the Roman culture was, was used when an emperor was born or when an emperor or a king came to power. And so when the angels used that word, What are they saying to the shepherds? Good news. The true king has come. The king who is king over all things and makes all other kingdoms illegitimate. So hold on to that definition. That means a lot. That's the word gospel. So now what we want to do is let's take that meaning. Let's go take a journey into the New Testament and see how that word is understood and applied. One of the places we can go to is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the few, and there are not many, New Testament passages where the author says, hey, here's the gospel. 
Here's the thing that I preach. So let's jump into 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. And Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says this. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you, the euangelion. Here's the good news. Which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So that's the implications. If you hold fast to the words I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, that is of first importance, what I also received. Paul's saying, I received the gospel. I didn't change it. I didn't add to it. I came to Corinth. I passed it on to you. And guys, this should sound really familiar to what I said when I first showed up. And here he goes. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried. The first idea of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. Now, Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. The anointed one, the Messiah, has died for our sins. And he says, according to the scriptures, meaning we don't apply whatever meaning we want to, to it. It's whatever the Hebrew scriptures say about it. That's what that means. And so the first idea is that Christ died for our sins. And then second, he goes on. He was buried according to the scriptures. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, and he appeared to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. You can't talk to them. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last, as the one untimely born, he also appeared to me. What's the second part of the gospel? First, Christ died for our sins. Second, Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, what Paul's going to do in verses 9 all the way to 24, is he's going to prove and explain the implications of the resurrection. Because in the first century, people did not believe, even Jews believe in the resurrection, in the sense of an individual rising in human history. They believed that resurrection would happen at the end, right? When God comes back. But they didn't believe that someone could rise in human history like Jesus did. And so what Paul's saying, listen, Jesus died for your sins, and he rose. I saw him. Talk to James. Now, you can't talk to Bill. He's dead but there's 500 other people you can go talk to because the people in that first century didn't believe in the resurrection. And then what happens in verses 9 all the way to 23, he's sharing the implications. Now, I can't get into it. It's really thick. And in verse 24, he's going to share the third aspect of the gospel. So he's explaining kind of parenthetically what the resurrection is about. Then in verse 24, watch what happens. He goes on to the third aspect of the gospel. And then he says, then comes the end, meaning judgment. When he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. For he, meaning Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, meaning God, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. There's a lot of subjection there. But do you notice the phrase that's repeated over and over again? All things, all things. This third aspect of the gospel is the idea that when Jesus died and rose again, he ascended. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father in power, in sovereignty, 
and authority. It's the idea in theology called the ascension. So when Paul proclaimed the gospel, what he shared was Christ died for your sins, he rose again, and then he ascended to the right hand of Father. Why? To bring everything, everything in all creation under his authority, which is under the Father's authority. And what's the last enemy to fall? When the judgment comes, it's death. Death will be done with me. No more crying, no more pain, no more tears, for all things will be wiped away. That is the gospel Paul preached. And that's the gospel that Paul understood. Now, we don't want to trust one passage. Let's look at a couple of passages about what this means. So Romans chapter 1, we see a similar summary of the gospel. Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the euangelion, the good news of God. The gospel which he promised, God promised beforehand through his prophets, according to the Holy Scriptures, And here's the gospel concerning the son, Jesus, who was descended from David. He's the Messiah, according to the flesh. He lived. He was declared to be the son of God. That's a divine idea. In power, according to the spirit of holiness, notice, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What are the themes? Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. And then he was Lord. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, which means everything is now being brought in subjection under his authority and under his power. That's the gospel that Paul proclaimed. Now, not only does Paul proclaim this, but you're going to find when you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are they about? Well, let's look at it. Mark 1.1. What does Mark say and what does Jesus say the gospel of Mark is about? Mark 1.1. In the beginning of the euangelion, the good news. What's the good news about? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, who is also divine, the Son of God. Mark is saying that the entire book that I'm writing is about the life, remember, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus. And so when you start off in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the Gospel according to Matthew. What is it about? His life. His death, you following me? Starting to see a pattern? His resurrection and his ascension as Lord over all things. What's Luke about? His life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. What is the gospel about? His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension as Lord over all things. Now you could also ask his return, but we're not gonna go there because it's too much to kind of fill in there. The gospel is fundamentally about Jesus. Now, when you explain the gospel to someone, you may not explain the whole picture, right? You may just say, hey, Christ died for your sins. You need to know that. You need to know that he rose again. And when you go to the book of Acts, and we can kind of see this in the book of Acts, there's six gospel sermons. I'd encourage you to go read them. If you want to do a little Bible study, compare what the gospel is in each one of those passages. And there's six gospel presentations. And what I did was I I kind of went in there and took some of the themes And I showed you how many times those themes occur. Surprisingly, in six sermons, the word sin only occurs twice. The life of Jesus occurs four times. And these these are the sermons that Peter and Paul preached as they're traveling throughout the world. The death of Jesus, it shows up nine times. The lordship of Jesus, ten times. And what's the major theme that shows up when we talk about The gospel, it's the resurrection of Jesus. So what is the gospel? If I had to summarize the gospel, 
I would say it succinctly this way. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's very different from the gospel that I grew up with. That I'm not denying, I'm not rejecting, I accept, I embrace, it's good news. But see, the implication Christ died for our sins is hidden within the truth of who Jesus is. This is Jesus the Messiah, the one born in Nazareth of Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph. We're going to read all about that. And he was the Christ. He was Israel's Messiah. That's what Christ means. It's Christos. It's not his last name. It's his identity. And all the Old Testament informs that. And notice, is, not was, not will be. He is Lord. What is Lord? He has everything under his feet. He has all authority, all power. All other rulers are legit, illegitimate rulers in comparison to Christ. This is what the angel is announcing. See, when you take Jesus Christ as Lord, now start reading Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start reading the birth narratives. Because if you read the birth narratives and read in the gospel, Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven, it's not going to make sense out of Mary's song and Ananias, uh, uh, all the songs, Anna's song as she's at the temple, none of them make sense until you see the gospel is about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So that's a lot. That's a lot right there. Now, I want to ask the question, so what? Jason, why does it matter that we get this right? Well, it matters a great deal. And, and here's why. It matters for two reasons. When we get the gospel right, I think we get the Christian life right. When we get the gospel wrong, we emphasize the wrong things. But when we get the gospel right, we know how to live the Christian life. If Jesus Christ is Lord, that really informs how I live. If Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven, that's done. It's taken care of. And listen, again, I'm saying that it's true, that through faith in Christ, we are going to be with God. But what is the implication of the gospel that the angels announced? Here's the first thing. And the first thing has to do is what is the goal of the gospel? And what should be the goal of your life? Now, the popular gospel, what's the goal? It's heaven. It's a good goal. That's a great goal. That's a wonderful goal. But see, what, is the, what are the angels announcing? Are they announcing good news, you get to go to heaven? Or are they saying good news? You get Jesus. See, if Jesus is simply a means to get to heaven, he's not the goal. He simply came to solve a spiritual problem in your life. And once he solves it, you can forget about it. I don't need to follow Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because why did Jesus come? He came to get me to heaven. And if Jesus just came to get you to heaven, then that's his only purpose. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus was bold at making himself the center of his teaching. Did you notice that? I mean, just ridiculously bold at putting himself at the center of everything he said and the importance of what God is after. So, for example, let me give you some examples. The rich young ruler in Luke chapter 19, or Matthew chapter 19. He says, listen, go and sell everything you have, right? He's rich, a rich guy. Because what's Lord over his life right now is wealth. And what Jesus has to do some surgery and says, I'm going to dethrone your money. You ready for this? And I'm going to make your heart transfer its treasure from your money to what? To me. What does he want him to do? Come and follow me. 
What is the treasure in heaven? It's Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. Remember hidden in a field? Do you know that parable? Guys mowing the yard realizes there is a huge treasure of money. What does he do? Sells everything he has to get it. What's the treasure? It's, it's Jesus. John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, saying, hey, guys, you have great Bible studies. Amazing. You know the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think in them you're going to find life. But what are the scriptures about? They're about me. And yet you refuse to come to me. What's the gospel? It's to come to Jesus. John 17. This is the clearest example. This is eternal life, that you may go to heaven. What's eternal life? That you may know God. Which means, church, eternal life, if you have trusted in Jesus, you're in it. You are in heaven. Because what is the prayer we pray? On earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because heaven's already invaded in my soul and in my life, and I'm wanting the rule and the reign of heaven to get out of my life and to start influencing the world around me. Heaven is in you. Now, heaven will be consummated, and it'll cover all things, and we will be in heaven in that sense. But heaven is now. Heaven is near. Heaven is with Jesus. John Piper said it boldly when he said, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we've not been converted by the gospel. Those are strong words, meaning if you don't want Jesus, heaven will be hell. What is the gospel? The gospel is about Jesus. And when you get the goal of the gospel right, what's the Christian life about? It's about Jesus. It's about pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus, knowing Jesus obeying Jesus. But see, not only is the goal of the gospel important, it's the scope. And this is an aspect where within the church we struggled with. Because what is the scope of the gospel? If Jesus Christ came simply to get you to heaven, what does God care about? He only cares about souls. Which means my job matters, yours doesn't. That should hit you. If all God cares about is souls, then the only thing that matters is missionaries and pastors. The rest of your jobs, unless you're sharing the gospel, they don't matter. Is that what the New Testament said God cares about? Now, listen, let me pause. Does God care about souls, church? Yes, he does. He cares about souls. Is that all God cares about? And is that what God says the gospel is about? No. But when we reduce the gospel down to souls, that's the only thing that begins to matter. So let's let's look back in 1 Corinthians 15. This is where it comes from. The idea of the lordship of Christ. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse 28. What does God care about? When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, meaning Jesus. Why? That God may be all in all. What does God care about? All things. What does God want? All things under his authority. What is he doing through you right now? He's trying to bring things under his authority through your life. What is discipleship? Bringing my life under the authority of Jesus. Is my marriage under there? Under his authority and empowering presence? Is my money there? God cares about your soul, but church, he cares about your body. Do you know in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to have a new body? 
Not just the new soul. And not a new, it's a reclaimed, redeemed. It's the old one, but better. God cares about your body, which means God cares about the environment. Not in a political sense. He created everything. It's not like God created everything and then retired into full-time ministry to care for souls. You with me? God created everything. He created in love. He sustains it in love. God cares about nations. There's going to be nations before the throne room of God. God cares about your work. Church, your work matters to God. You can work in a way that brings your work under the authority of Jesus and allows his rule and reign to go out into the earth. Your work matters to God. Relationships matter to God. Your sexuality matters to God. The question is, are you willing to bring those things under God's authority and lordship? And listen, church, when you do, sometimes you're going to struggle with it. I mean, I struggle with forgiveness. I've struggled with sexual temptation. Do I really want to bring that under the authority of Jesus? But who is Jesus? He is patient and kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is the Lord that when I fail him, dies for me. And when I believe in him, empowers me. Why would I not trust him? What is the scope of the gospel? God is concerned about all things. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling. Notice the world. Do you know the world in the word Greek is cosmos? Same thing in John 3, 16. For God so loved the cosmos. What's the cosmos? It's the thing that crucifies Jesus. It's the thing that's in rebellion against God. What does God love? The world. What does he want to do? He wants to bring all of the world under his authority, rule, and reign. This is what the angels are announcing on that first Christmas Eve, good news. The true king is here. He cares about you. He cares about creation. He cares about the world. And see, this makes sense of the Christian life. It's why Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Hey, listen, if all that matters is going to heaven, why does it matter that we're gonna teach us to obey everything he commanded us? Because it matters. Why does it matter on heaven as it is on earth? Because God wants all things. And so the question for you is, as you respond to the gospel, are you bringing things, all things under Jesus? You know, and you need people in your life to do that with you. You need people to pray with you. Sometimes the simplest act of faith is just to be in communion and say, listen, my marriage is a mess. I'm trying to bring it under the authority of Jesus. I don't know how. I don't know how it's gonna work. I don't know what to do. My kids are struggling. They're, they're rejecting Christ, my career. I don't wanna do this anymore. And the kindest answer someone could really respond to you with is a question. Will you bring this under God's empowering presence and authority? And then pray, God, I want to bring this under you. I want to bring the health of someone I love under you. I can't carry it anymore. I can't carry the weight. You're Lord over all things. You love me and gave yourself for me. I want to trust you. You see, when we get the gospel right, we begin to get the Christian life right. See, this is why it matters. And so the final question I want to ask is, okay, well, how should we respond? Because again, when we go to Luke chapter 2 and the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel is saying there's a new king in town who is dethroning and illegitimizing all other authorities. The challenge in your life is right now, there's something that is competing for lordship over Jesus. It's true in all of our lives. 
There's something that's competing, and it could be your career. It could be right now what's pressing on your heart, and this is one of the things that I, is a struggle within the evangelical church is politics. Politics affects our attitude. It affects your behavior. It affects your outlook. You don't have hope. If you're living in fear, that's not the gospel. When did the gospel come? When did the angel said, fear not? When fear was rampant and there was a real reason to be afraid because you had the Roman Empire who were killing your neighbors. We're not there. We might be there, but we're not. There's always hope in the gospel. If you're living in fear, you're not living under the reign of Christ. You're living under the reign of illegitimate kings because Christ will not lead you into fear. It doesn't mean there aren't fearful things around us, but he gives us hope. And so what the angel's saying is there's a new king in town. As we celebrate communion today, what I'm gonna ask you to do is what do you need to dethrone? What are you saying to God? Listen, God, whatever. Sexuality, not coming under you. You can save me into heaven and I'm gonna have this. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. Money, uh-uh. I'm doing business my way because I'm gonna win. I am a winner. I have always won. I'm gonna run people over. Sermon on the Mount, forgiveness, loving our enemies. Jesus, I'm not gonna love my enemies. I'm gonna do enemies my way because it works for me and it's worked well for the world. Are you willing to take whatever it is that is so important to you and then to surrender and simply say, I repent and believe? Because how do we respond to the gospel? What does he want? Repent, which means to turn. Identify the false saviors, lords in your life and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You died for my sins. You rose again. You're seated at the right hand of God the Father. And here's the beautiful thing. When you're in Christ, you're seated with him. You're seated with him above all powers, authorities, rulers, because you were one in Christ. You were adopted. You are accepted. You're loved. Church, what do you have to worry about? There's a lot that we carry in this life. There's a lot that's heavy. But see, when we surrender that to the lordship of Christ, his goodness, and we see his goodness and how he brings out his rule and reign by dying for us, that when we failed him, he died for us and his patience and his goodness in our lives. So as we celebrate communion, would you take that opportunity just to transfer, transfer in some ways your allegiance to Christ away from something else, whatever the Holy Spirit has put on your heart. So let's take that moment. If you haven't grabbed the elements, they're available in the back. They're also available up front as the, as the band comes forward as we um, spend some time in a reflection. Actually, I already had one up here. There we go. So let's seek the Lord in prayer. Father, I keep hearing the words of the angel, fear not. There are many of us that are in situations that are fearful. And it is right to feel fear when there is uncertainty around us. And so, Lord, we want to surrender that fear to you. The fear of relationships that aren't going in the right direction, the fear of futures that we're uncertain of, the fear of health that is failing, the fear even in our own nations and that there are challenges that we don't know how we'll be overcome. But we receive the good news of great joy, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. 
And Jesus, you are Christ, the Lord. And so through the Spirit, Father, would you show us the things that we need to surrender to you? We cast our burdens on you for you care for us. And Father, we want to walk in newness of life. We want to walk in the authority that comes from Christ and, and know that under his reign there is mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so, Father, we receive today the, the symbol of the gospel through communion. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he said, take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, the new relationship that is now established in my blood. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him.